Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast, a conversation designed to help leaders go further, faster. I'm Andy Stanley, and I will be your host on this episode because today I have my friend Clay Scroggins in the studio to begin a two-part discussion on how to lead when you are not in charge. Thanks for joining us, Clay. So glad to be here. Honestly, it's a complete privilege. Thank you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Clay's from Tuscaloosa. He's an industrial engineer major from Georgia Tech, but he says he doesn't know anything about engineering. Not a thing. Uh, He got his THM and his uh, DMIN from Dallas Theological Seminary. Now, the first time I heard Clay talk about today's topic, I thought that should be a book. And apparently, Clay, you thought so as well. And your book will be out? Uh, August 22nd. August 22nd. Super excited about that. It's entitled How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, the subtitle I love, Leveraging Influence When You Lack Authority. Leveraging Influence When You Lack Authority. We're going to talk a lot about that. Now, Clay, I, I think this is such an important topic because very few people are ever completely in charge of anything, which means really 99% of leadership material is written to about 1% That's right. 1% of senior exactly leaders right. in organizations. So statistically speaking, far more people are not in charge than are in charge, which makes this an extraordinarily relevant book and conversation. But, and you and I have talked about this, and then I'll let you talk. Isn't it true that most folks, I think, in leadership are under the impression that that's not the case? They think that there's this this large group of people that wake up every day and they determine their own destiny. So they dream of the day and of that day, and it probably ain't coming, that that day when they'll have all the authority and all, and consequently, all the influence. And our observation is this, that leaders who wrap themselves in the security blanket of, well, if I were in charge or when I'm in charge, um, as a poor excuse for performance, and then, you know, on top of that, lack the initiative, you know, to lead when they're not in charge, they will probably never be in charge. So again, that makes this conversation important and it makes your book extraordinarily important. So uh, let's jump in. And how to lead when you're not in charge. You make the case that anyone, anyone can nurture and leverage influence, whether they have authority or not. So let's start there. Let's talk about this relationship between influence and authority. Well, I hope that's true. I mean, if it's not true, um, most of us should just resign. We should at least. <laughs> Step back and look at what we're really trying to do, because I, I, I you know, found myself. I'm sure I had been given more authority than I had ever had before, but I still felt like I had a plethora of bosses, which right. uh, I don't think that feeling ever goes away. Even even in the seat you're sitting in, you still probably feel like you have more bosses than you might like to have. And the a- truth accountab- is, accountability feels like a boss. Yes. So when I walk into our leadership team meetings, even though I am the boss, I feel accountable for everybody sitting in that room, and I, there's a sense in which I feel like I'm almost under your authority or the, the group's authority as I attempt to lead you. So you're exactly right. Which is incredible, but I'm sure that, I'm sure you're right that you feel accountable to even more people the, I guess, the higher up you move in an organization in a sense. And so you never really get away from feeling like you have bosses. So if you're waiting, which I found myself waiting, I was sitting back and waiting thinking, well, if I just had more authority, if I could be the one in charge, then I could make changes that I feel like we need to make. And when it hit me that you don't actually have to be in charge in order to start having influence, I feel like it opened up a world of opportunity, honestly, for me. It felt like now I... uh, um, I, I have the opportunity to cultivate as much influence as I can and to try to influence meetings and influence people that I have no authority over to try to get done what I think needs to be done. And 
it's a huge concept for me because, it, and, and I think it is for anybody listening, because if this is really true, there's a lot of hope for every yeah. single one of us, no matter well, what seat we're and in. And as we're going to discover, and one of the reasons I'm so glad you and I are having this conversation, the reason you are where you are is because you did not sit back and wait until you had all of the authority to do the things that you thought needed to be done. You decided, as you just said, you sort of had this epiphany, wait a minute, I have some influence. I have a network of relationships. I'm convinced certain things need to happen. Why should I sit around and wait? And honestly, as we've talked about, if you had sat around and wait, I don't think you would be where you are in our organization. And that is true of everybody, I think, in any healthy organization. Now, there are leaders that are easily threatened by people with ideas, leaders that are threatened by people who are ambitious. In that organization, not so much the case. But in an organization where senior leadership really is passionate about the health of the organization and replacing themselves— we are looking, as now you're looking for that, those men and women That's right. who aren't waiting for the title. They're just going to get out there and get it done. And in some cases, get it done anyway. Get it done in a way that <laughs> in is spite some, of. in spite That's of. Right. And in some cases, it's a bit disruptive. Yeah. But people like me, you know, I, just, I think, wow, you know, if we, could, <laughs> if we could harness their ambition, convince them that our mission really is the right mission, you know, there's no limit to what we can do. So this— you know, this plays into to leadership, I think, at the deepest level. So, Clay, back to the cultivate influence without having authority. How, how do you do that? How do you cultivate it? How does someone have influence without having all of the authority they feel like they need to do what they are convinced needs to be done? What does that look like? Well, the first thing, every one of us has to understand that we are all in charge of something. Uh, we might not be fully in charge, but we are in charge of a few things, and it may be a little bit, it may be a lot, but all of us have some sense of authority over a few things. I know uh, in my own home, uh, I'm not a, I don't, I don't decorate. That's not my thing. Um, I'm colorblind. I can't see colors very well. So because of that, uh, my wife handles, she handles our house. I mean, the way it looks, the way it feels, but the garage is my domain. That is the place <laughs> where I have full authority and autonomy. And every couple months, I love pulling everything out, putting everything back in, ordering it just the way I want to order it. And every one of us has our own domain. We all have an oasis that we're in charge of, something that we are responsible for. And the first thing is begin there, is begin with what you are in charge of and decide, I'm going to make this the best that it can be. Most of our frustrations in organizations are with people beside us or with people above us, but the truth is what we have most control over is what we are in charge of, and that is whatever our responsibility is. So for me, it's deciding I'm going to make what I'm in charge of as great as possible, and ultimately that cultivates influence because others see what you've built, what you've been put in charge of how well you've handled that. And if you can be trusted with a little bit, you're eventually going to be trusted with more. Somebody famous said that. Someone very famous said that. That's right. At least famous in our world. And this plays right into something we've talked about before. I'm a a big fan of giving my direct reports responsibility descriptions, not job descriptions. Everybody has those, but responsibility descriptions. And so as a person understands their specific responsibility, that is their domain. And everybody who is responsible for something, therefore, has potential to make it better, has potential to leverage whatever influence they have within that domain. And and again, good organizational leaders are looking for the people who do that. That's right. I call it uh, creating an oasis of excellence. That's really what I want to learn how to do is I want to create an oasis of excellence with whatever I've been put in charge of. When I was an intern, it was a closet. 
<laughs> My job was to organize and order a closet and to keep it clean. Well, if that's all you find yourself in charge of today, you decide this is going to be the best run closet in the entire organization. And then eventually the closet turns into more. It turns into a couple of closets and then eventually maybe a couple of people and then a department and then a team and and on and on it goes. But the truth is we've got to figure out what are what am I in charge of and how can I create an oasis of excellence with what I am in charge of? I love that. So the bottom line is it is actually possible, and I think for some people today we're creating a category, it is possible to actually unleash or unlock our influence while we're still in the middle of an organization, or as you just illustrated, or possibly even at the bottom. Now, one of the, um, I think, most compelling sections in the book, and I I can't wait for our audience to get this book, is where you talk about self-leadership. Because while there is a lot we don't have control over, as you just illustrated and as you just stated, there is a little bit we have control over. But that really begins with looking in the mirror, the person in the mirror, with self-leadership. So connect those dots for us. Well, that's what Michael Jackson said. He said, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. And I'm hoping that we can make a change or two there with you go. that person. But that that's absolutely true, Andy, that the, the primary thing that any one of us is in charge of is myself. And I know there's been a ton written on self-leadership. Uh, for me, one of the statements that has rung most true for me is what Tom Watson, former CEO of IBM, said. And I, I guess this was probably mid-20th century. He said, nothing so conclusively proves someone's ability to lead others as what they do on a day-to-day basis to lead themselves. And so if you want to prove to someone else that you have the ability to lead more than you're currently leading, begin with leading yourself well. And so for me, that was uh, that was a big challenge that I, I feel like I didn't it didn't hit me until about age 30 when I finally decided, okay, enough of being frustrated with whether I'm getting led well or not, I'm going to pick up the mantle of leading myself well. And if you do that, you can ensure that you're always led well. So if you're sitting there today frustrated with your boss because your boss isn't leading you as well as you think your boss should lead you, well, here's another option than being frustrated is just to start leading yourself well and saying, well, I'm going to do everything I can do to lead me, which means figuring out where you are right now. Most of self-leadership is determining where am I? What what do I need to work on? What do I need to focus on? And then putting an elevator pitch together so that if somebody were to ask you, hey, what are you doing to lead yourself right now? You, you have answers to that. There are things you're reading, people you're trying to surround yourself with. There are things you're trying to learn so that you can make sure that you're led well. In fact, Andy, I've, I've, this is one of the benefits of me sitting on this podcast is now I get the opportunity since I've got a microphone to ask you a question. I, I, I've noticed this about you. You seem like you lead yourself well. And when you get in the seat you're in, it really is your responsibility to lead yourself well. But you could have easily just said, hey, well, I'm the senior leader now. I'm done, I'm done leading myself and growing and maturing and developing. But you don't seem like you've mailed it in yet. You seem like you're continuing to try to lead yourself well. What, what do you do? What, what are the things that you would say are on the top of your list of things that you do on a regular basis to lead yourself well? That's a great question. You should have asked me that before we uh, started recording. But here's the first thing that comes to mind. And this, I don't think this is, there's an apples, apples correlation for everybody in our audience. But for me personally, I so love this organization. I mean, I love this organization. Um, I, you know, I've been here since day one. So as a founder, I so love this organization. It would kill me if this organization was not well-led. And when I feel like it's not being well-led, whether it's because we have the wrong person in the wrong position 
or um, things have just kind of leveled out and we're not growing. I feel the weight of that. And going back to what we said earlier, that is my responsibility. Mm. That is my garage. That is my oasis of excellence. That is my domain, to mm. use all of your terms. Mm-hmm. And so, but I think it's it's not so much me wanting to lead myself well so somebody will recognize me as a leader, a better leader, and give me an opportunity. I'm not in that place in life. I just love this organization. And so there is an internal motivation to get better. And I've mentioned this before on our podcast and not with you, in the, you know, sitting across the table from me. But now that you are, I'll, I'll restate it. When I walk into our leadership team meeting and look at you and the 14 other people or so mm-hmm. in that group who are, I think, extraordinary leaders, I feel the pressure to get better. Because even if you and I are moving in the same direction, if you're going 80 miles an hour and I'm going 40, there's going to be tension, even if even if we're clear on vision and mission and all those kinds of things. So because I want the organization to be great, I am constantly trying to get better as a leader. And I feel the frustration when I, when I feel like I'm not making progress, whether it's what I'm reading or who I'm meeting with or, or you know, what I'm allowing on my, on my calendar. And then the other thing for me, and then we get back to you is it's just so important to be honest with ourselves. The easiest person to deceive is the person in the mirror. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody, you know, not everybody, but a lot of our listeners today, you have, you've already talked yourself out of exercising today. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, nobody else That's did right. it. No, Guilty. Who, yeah, who, <laughs> right. who has anything to lose but you? And you talked yourself out of it. You, you are the easiest person to deceive. Now, and, and knowing that, again, once you create that, that, that category, then it means I'm my best friend or I'm my worst enemy. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to leadership, um, it's that same thing. It's trying to be honest with myself about why. Why don't I call? Why don't I do that? Why don't I want to go to that meeting? Why do I not want to wade into that? You know, you know what is the real issue? So those are, those are the two things um, that come to mind for me. But Clay, Back to you. <laughs> hey, w- one of the things you say in your book that I love is this. This is, a, this is a quote. The greatest value I bring my team is not my education, experience, insight, or ideas. The greatest thing I bring my team is the energy of attitude, the energy of attitude. Talk a little bit about that. Part of it is a frustration because I've spent a lot of time in education. Um, I have spent a lot of time in school, and very rarely have I had anybody who works for me or works next to me uh, identify or appreciate, I should say, all of the time I spent in education or experience. I feel like the the longer I've been in the role I've been in, very rarely do people say, well, tell us what you think. You've been doing this a long time. People rarely recognize education, experience, insight, or ideas, but what really matters, I have noticed more and more, is the energy that I bring every day. Part part of it's a frustration with the way life works. Um, Every single day feels like a grind sometimes in church world, and I'm sure whatever industry you find yourself in. And the key to leading well is bringing energy every single day. And this is not a personality. I think a lot of times people confuse that with, does that mean I need to be extroverted? It's not. It's a, it's a drive to see progress. It's a drive to make things better. And I have just found that you, if you're an intern, if you're second in command, if you are just a person on the team, you don't actually lead the team you have the ability to affect the climate of the team, and it's with the attitude that you bring. And people that we love around here are people that bring it every single day. They're they're not 40-watt bulbs. They're 100-watt bulbs every day. And it's most powerful because they're hope-filled, they're forward-thinking, they're can-do, they're 
no mountain is too high. Let's yep. figure out how we can climb it. You walk into the room and you're glad they're at the meeting. That's exactly right. And when you think about, hey, let's get some people together to talk about somebody, those are the people that come to mind, which means, you know, for those of you who are trying to get in the room with the person that can right. recognize right. your, right. you know, extraordinary ability and give you another opportunity, positivity, it's very, very powerful. Energy is very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. In fact, I heard a Q&A. I, I, I tried to remember when this was. It was probably about a year ago. And I was sitting in the back of the room, and there were some other leaders that were asking you some questions. One of the things somebody asked is, hey, well, Andy, what about you? What do you look for when you look for younger leaders? And your answer instinctively, it was like you, you didn't even think about it. You just said, I look for positivity. I want leaders that are positive, that have a positive outlook on yeah. where we're headed, what we're trying to do. Why was that so second nature for you to answer it that way? Well, I think part of it is there, there's, you know, there's two aspects. There's convincing people, here's what we need to do. And then there's convincing people that we can do it. So the positive person is already convinced this is what we need That's to do. Right. And they're already excited about getting it done. So if I'm going to take the little bit of time and energy I have to invest in somebody and it gets spread pretty thin as you know as organizations get larger I mean, those are going to be the go-to people because I don't have to convince them every single time, no, this is the right That's mission, right. this is the right vision. They're already and in. number two, we can do this. So Again, when, when when somebody is bought into what we're doing and believes it can be done, I you know that's an easy investment. Again, I'm I'm drawn in that direction, and I think I think most of us are. So Patrick Lencioni, I, I use a quote that he says in the Advantage. He says that most people will buy in when you've given them an opportunity to weigh in, which I think is fantastic, and that that is true. And where whatever you're leading today. Uh, you, you should think through that. However, one of the challenges for me is I started realizing, well, what about moments that I didn't get to weigh in? What about the time I didn't get invited to the meeting and a decision was made that now I'm getting handed and now I'm having to execute a decision that I didn't get to weigh in on? How do I buy in at that point. And that is a huge tension in organizational life because yes. we can't all be at the meeting and yet we are all responsibility for output that's connected to whatever decision was made in the meeting. So let's talk about that for a minute because that is that may be, you know, right at the the epicenter of the feelings of frustration around you know, how do I lead when I'm not in charge? Now it's not just a matter of I don't have an opportunity to lead. Now I've been asked to do something right. and give my time and energy to something that I may not necessarily be on board with. I believe you're exactly right that that is the, for me at least, it is one of the most frustrating parts of not being in charge is you feel like, well, someone else has made a decision. They're handing it to me. I'm having to execute it. I would never have made this decision, but But I am. But now I'm responsible. That's right. For for a decision that I didn't even make. So I have just found that every one of us has an opportunity in that moment to own the decision and make it the right decision. That the more exposure I get to other organizations, the more I realize there are many different ways to do things, many different ways to run an organization. The key to running a great organization is not picking the right idea, but it's getting everybody to buy in. It's getting everybody to use their energy to push toward the same idea. And so if I want the people that work for me to do that, I have realized that I've got to do that for the people that I work for. That if when I said yes to the job, that was me getting my opportunity to buy in and say, yes, I'm going to take whatever idea has been decided upon and I'm going to execute it with all of the energy that I have. Because we all know that 
if there's an idea you don't like, you can spoil that that idea with Massive, the worst attitude. opportunities. That's right. You know, abound in That's those right. environments. Yep. And we've all seen that. And and the same thing is true. All of us can take a mediocre idea and get all of our energy to move toward that idea, and we can make that idea work. And so what I'm trying to do as a leader who's trying to figure out how to lead when I'm not in charge is to choose that kind of attitude because it's the kind of attitude that I would want someone to choose working for me, and it's the kind of attitude that I'm trying to choose on a daily basis is saying, hey, you know what, I can I can be frustrated at what I don't get to do or what I didn't get to speak into, or... I can say, you know what, thank you for spending all that energy in that meeting to make that decision. I would have liked to have weighed in on it, but since I didn't, I'm going to take it and I'm going to put all of my energy toward making it work. And when somebody in my position or your position catches somebody doing that and then it doesn't work, or they come to us later and say, look, I gave it 110%, but here's the problem. We take those folks seriously. <laughs> right. The gripers and complainers right. and whiners, you know, it, it, it's just hard. It's hard to listen to that. But when I know there's somebody who has leveraged their responsibility faithfully, and they come to me and say, you know what, I'm not sure this is a good idea. That, that, that's a whole different thing. But along those lines, energy and positivity isn't enough, right? There has to be competence and other things as well. Absolutely. And, and I think that's some. So I, I am a naturally a positive person. So my personality lends to this. And I have found in life, uh, there are two kinds of people. There are positive people, and then there are not negative people, but they're realistic people because (laughs) people who I would deem as potentially negative, they don't think of themselves as negative. They just think of themselves as realistic. They say, hey, well, no, if you want to know how it's actually going to go, I'll tell you. So I lean toward being a positive person, but I really have learned it is a choice of attitude to have. But yes, you can't just... You can't just surround yourself with people that are going to say yes to every idea you have. None of us want that. That ultimately, we've got to figure out how to be people that add value, which means we have to be willing to disagree in a meeting, to push back and say, wait, let's fight for the best idea. But then once consensus has been found, once a decision has been made, then is the moment when I choose to have the attitude of positivity and say, you know what, we're going to make this work. We're going to figure out how to, even though I wouldn't have chosen this, we are going to figure out how to make this work. Uh, Jeff Bezos at Amazon and his letter to his shareholders, he called it being able to disagree and commit, which I think is a fantastic phrase that in the meeting, I can disagree, but when we leave the meeting, I'm going to commit that I'm going to bring all of my attitude toward this idea and I'm going to do everything I can do to make it work. Clay, when you first shared these ideas with our team, you talked about two questions that lead to two different approaches, a helpful question and a not-so-helpful question. Uh, The not-so-helpful one is, how can I lead when I don't have all the authority I need? And the better question you said is? Yeah, the better question is, how should I lead with the opportunity that I have? Yeah, so I want to state those two again let you talk about them. I think this is so important. The bad question is, how can I lead when I don't have all the authority I need? The second question is, how should I lead with the opportunity I have? And those definitely send people down two different roads. Yeah, the first question, the question of, well, how can I lead when I don't have all the authority I need? It's really, it's, unfortunately, it becomes a question of scarcity. It's a question of, I don't have enough. I'm a victim. It's impossible. Yeah, that's that's right. It's a dead end to even try. And that's, it's just not helpful that the, the second question I just think is a question, it's a question of abundance of saying, hey, 
I may not have all the authority that I think I need. However, what I do have is a pretty significant opportunity in front of me. And maybe the hill is a little higher than I wish it was, but nonetheless, I still have an opportunity to influence from whatever seat that I'm in. So how how should I lead with the opportunity that I have is just a better question. And the truth is, history has taught us no one who has done anything significant had everything they needed to That's get right. it done That's when right. they had the idea. That's right. No one, whether we're talking about inventions, um, revolutions, right. whatever it might be, nothing significant. The things that have changed the world, when those ideas came to the individual or the group, they did not have the resources, they did not have the influence, and they did not have the position, but they didn't feel like they had the luxury to just sit back and say, oh, well, you know, it's just always going to be this way. That's exactly right, that they didn't have the title. They no. didn't have the position. Mm-hmm. They didn't have the authority, and they didn't let that stop them, that they still said, you know what, there's an opportunity that I have here. And, yes, authority does make things easier. If you're in charge, you do have more control, and you can make more calls that you feel like you need to make. However, to use your lack of authority as an excuse for leading well, I think, is a lousy excuse that in the end – it will not provide for you the opportunities to lead more. That if you want to lead more, and I'm a person that I want to lead more. I want to be given more. I have just found that being faithful with what I've been given, figuring out what am I in charge of, what do I have, which is an opportunity that's in front of me, that's ultimately what is going to give me an opportunity to lead more. Hey, Clay, thanks so much for your time. Well, thank you. And thanks for this opportunity again. To all our listeners, thanks for joining us to hear more on this topic and to learn more about Clay's fantastic book that's coming out this fall, How to Lead When You Are Not in Charge. You can go to claysgroggins.com. That's claysgroggins.com. And be sure to be here next month as we conclude this fascinating conversation designed to help you and your team go further, faster. Faster.